Good morning, everybody. We're back. You're listening to X-Ray. I'm Jefferson Smith. And in studio right now is Chloe Udaly, Portland City Commissioner, former bookstore owner, renter's rights advocate. Udaly is facing a real re-election campaign in November. Commissioner, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Who are you and why are you running? Oh, boy. Well, like you said, uh, I was a small business owner, ran a bookstore for 22 years, uh, a lifelong activist, disability advocate. In the last several years, I got very involved with housing justice, which is what led me to run for city council and win. And I am running because although we have gotten a remarkable amount of work done in the first three years, we're not done. Uh, fighting for housing justice, transportation justice, uh, climate change, and so on. What are you proudest of that you've done so far? Well, it would have to be our tenant protections, which help stabilize uh, tens of thousands of low-income renters in their housing, as well as uh, our more most recent uh, tenant protection package, which is fair access and renting, which decreases barriers to housing and uh, aims to reduce housing discrimination. What have been the biggest challenges? Uh, well, people always talk about drinking from a fire hose. It's an extraordinary amount of work due to the unique form of our city government. We're not just legislators, we're administrators. So we oversee bureaus. I currently- Should we be? Should city councilors be administrators as well as legislators? As much as I love the administrative side, probably because I owned a small business for 22 years and I like problem solving, I think the answer is no. You think we should change it and move to an unelected king? Have the bureaucracy run the whole show? Well, that's what I'm struggling with. What I love about our form of city government is that power is dispersed across five seats. And um, accountable to people who vote. Yes. Uh, so I'm a little nervous about concentrating that power, but you know, we're gonna have a big community conversation around charter review and uh you know it's portland maybe we can invent our own form of city what would government. that be what would what be what the would it look like to have a city form of government where i mean it, it seems to me there's got to be choices right we can sort right. of put it off what those choices are but either you have i mean maybe there's a chance to do it like great britain where you still have an ele elected members of the cabinet but nonetheless they are uh, you know, where they come from districts, they're members of parliament, but they are still selected to run particular uh, functions, right? Maybe it could, it could work like that. Generally speaking, I've been thinking that it's a choice between either uh, what we've got now or an emperor mayor or an emperor unelected king. <laughs> Okay, an unelected emperor, an emperor mayor, or what we've got now, I think are the choices. And people like to, you know, people like to say, "Oh no, I, we want we want districts." Okay, that, that's districts are cool, but we're actually talking about, I think, unless you're talking about Great Britain, where you have just one person from one geographic area who's like controlling the water bureau. Maybe that could make sense. They'd sort of do that in Great Britain, uh, but otherwise, do you think that would make sense? I'm not suggesting that we go to a district form of government and that we continue to oversee bureaus. I think that would be very problematic. So, so you think we should move to districts or shouldn't move to districts? I support districts, but move what to I districts. But then, but that that then means you either got a strong mayor or an un, a, unelected emperor. Yes. Well, I mean, that's how you are describing you it. You put it nicer the, words, but which right. it's those choices, yeah? Look, I've lived here all my life. It's yeah. the only form of local government I've ever known. I'm yeah. very interested in the conversation moving forward. I'm not for a strong mayor form of government, yeah. but I do think we need a city manager. What's an example of a failure since you've been in office, something in the last four years that you would chalk up to, well, that's because we didn't have uh, a city manager. That's because we didn't have a key administrator who was not elected, who did get to run all the bureaus and decide how everything worked. What's an example of a failure because of that? Uh, well, as you probably remember, I was assigned BDS uh, when I first Bureau took of Development office. Services. Yes, and we do you not- do like building codes and crap like that. Yeah, we issue permits and we enforce codes. And because we do not have a public's work, uh, public works bureau, the whole pr permitting process is very disjointed and time-consuming, and we can only be as fast as our slowest permitting bureau. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of um, and that's usually the example. Face. Usually, I, I've heard over the years, right, the, the real the real power that's always wanted to move to something like a city manager were developers. Right, so they didn't have to mess with like waiting as long to be able to build their buildings. 
And maybe that was a challenge because of inefficient bureaucracy, or maybe there's also some elements of democracy there. Other concerns, other than developers' concerns, and, and, and that's not just, I mean, all kinds of people want to get permits, potentially. In addition to that, any other failures over the last, that you witnessed in your, in your four years, nearly four years, that you would chalk up to the, our lack of having like a city manager, a centralized, centralized bureau leader? Right. I mean, you say failure, failures, mistakes, I say challenges, challenges and opportunities. Yeah. Uh, certainly there are always missed opportunities for bureaus to collaborate, to share resources. Um, technology is a real challenge, bureau by bureau, as far as what the bureaus have access to, how they communicate with the public. It's it's very frustrating uh, for me, which is why I have championed the 311 system. The city really does a terrible job Amen, at customer service. And uh, you could do that with that. We could still impose. We could still install a 311 system, one centralized system for interacting with citizens of Portland who Absolutely. call in. We're doing we could, it. We could do that regardless of having, whether we had a city manager, strong mayor, or the current form of government. Yes, and what I'll say is there is uh, infinite room for improvement in the existing form of government we have, but going back to the administrative role that commissioners have, not everyone is great at it. And yeah. and that's why I think ultimately... Who's we, worst? I am not <laughs> going there, Jefferson. Who are the city councilors <laughs> who really suck at running bureaus? Oh, that is not a fair question. Totally <laughs> I fair refuse question. to answer okay. that. Who are the city councilors that no longer serve, who sucked it as, as administrators? You could say, oh, yeah, city would be way better off if that person hadn't had to run the water bureau. Oh, Jefferson. There's never been anybody bad. Everybody's been ever good. Look, I wasn't super checked in to city council. Sure. I've always been interested in kind of broader social issues. Yeah. I didn't really start paying attention until Novick and Hales <laughs> tried to advance Portland that. Portland only existed for the last six, <laughs> six or seven years. Look, I was busy running a business yeah. and doing my thing and serving my community. It wasn't until the city tried to force a street fee on us. Uh, after the recession that I uh, started paying attention to what was going on locally and how that was impacting uh, my community. Well, I want to talk to you about the street fee. I want to talk about the street oh fee. Boy. Pop, I think you wanted to say something. Yeah, I would be interested in hearing what was the business that you ran for years? How many employees did you have? And, and, and what did you find is transferable from what you learned there to running a large bureau for the city? Sure. So I ran a small specialty bookshop called Reading Frenzy. It was devoted to uh, independent and alternative press. I was very concerned with the epidemic of media consolidation in the hands of a few multinational corporations, and I wanted to provide a space for small, independent, alternative publishers uh, to present their work. I did that for 22 years. I also ran a small press, produced hundreds of events, worked for nonprofit uh, disability advocacy groups and so on. I think the skills that I learned um, in my small business that apply to my role as an administrator at the city is being creative, resourceful, and how to stretch a dollar. I, it was a very small business. I pr never had more than two employees. Uh, I was the main, the main employee and I wore multiple hats. Did you actually wear multiple hats? Did you actually put on a bunch of different I hats? I literally ever? wore or a you pile just, you of... had to do a lot of different things. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. <laughs> and it might even help if a person has a lot of duties to actually have, like, you put on the red one when sure. you have to do a certain thing. Put on the brown one, you have to do a different thing. And I mean, you remember. I, yeah, I do sometimes try to think of my role as city commissioner as a, as a costume I can take off uh, and be a, a, a normal human being every once in a while, but... Who's the strongest opponent you're facing right now? What, or, or, or if you were going to evaluate your opponents, how would you evaluate them? Well, there are a couple people running against me who are running real campaigns. Uh, I'm going to assume that Sam Adams is the strongest opponent just by virtue of name recognition. Um, Heck, he's beer. Yeah, there's that. I mean, it was amazing in the last race I ran in. There were probably 10 people, only three or four of us were running real, real campaigns, but even people that never showed up, didn't raise any money, didn't have a campaign team, they got a few thousand votes. And I thought, would, do people just like the name Mike? Do they, you know, do they vote for the person who has the nicest smile in the voters' pamphlet? You never pamphlet? know. You never know. So maybe, you know, beer no, here's could the be thing. a deciding factor. And it's and it's and he was mayor of the darn city. Right. He was. Yes, he was. How good a mayor was he? Well, you know, unfortunately, his term was uh, 
somewhat clouded by controversy, and uh, it was at the dawning of, well, in the midst of the recession. I will say, you know, although I uh, admire the work that Sam did in uh, the arenas of transportation and the environment, I probably wouldn't have run for city council if he had done anything to stem the tide of gentrification and displacement that forced cost burden, displaced, and uh, has largely contributed to our homeless crisis. What should have been done? Tenant protections, obviously. I mean, more than 30 years ago, a group of you know well-funded lobbyists got together and convinced the legislature to ban rent control. Local governments. Uh, but Sam didn't do that. He did not do that. However, and he was barred from I mean, the the statewide preemption barred him from doing doing stuff at the local level. Yeah, there was maybe some stuff he could have done. There was obviously some stuff yeah. he could have done because I've done it. Yeah. Uh, the you know our current housing crisis is identified as starting in 2010, and council sat by and did nothing while tens of thousands of renters uh, became cost burdened uh, due to price gouging, displaced, and many of them became homeless. You brought up the street fee. One of my, as I wrestle with this. I'm and really the, sorry I did that. <laughs> so, no, I mean, that, understanding <laughs> understanding your motivation for running and that the street yeah. fee helped help instigate your your interest and in paying more attention to what's going yeah. on in the city and wanted to show leadership there. That's really important. The, uh, I, I find myself, like I'm, you know, I'm fond of you Thank as a you, human Jefferson. being. I'm also fond of Sam as a human being. I just met Mingus. Uh, Mingus Maps, other candidate for the race, seems like a wonderful person too. Uh, when, when you ran, I had mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. One of my feelings was she seems dope. Having a citizen activist who is prioritizing the most important issue in town, who isn't mobbed up with the people who are all at the trough, heck yes, and she seems great. I also like Steve. I did too. But even I setting aside too. the light question, I was a little bit worried about if the thing that beats him is a street fee, if the thing that beats him is getting revenue for government services. And by the way, I know candidate after candidate was getting asked by building trades, getting asked by by transportation advocates, hey, we need a funding source so we're not just funding state highways because when we fund state highways, all we do is build highway expansions to Vancouver. We've got to be able to build the kind of stuff that we can build here to have safer streets in East Portland, etc. And in order to do that, we need a street fee. And candidate after candidate would say yes and then not do it. Right. Steve Novick said yes and then did it. Yeah. And you killed him for it. No. Look, I really like and admire Steve. I voted for him twice. I ran against him because he was checked out on the housing crisis. I did not make the street fee an issue in my campaign. And I won because he was checked out on the housing crisis. And I was standing up there. Street played a role, though. You said it played a role in you running. It also played a huge role in I said that was the first time I really began paying attention to what was going on in City Hall and how it was impacting us locally. That was not, that was years before I decided to run. That's true for a bunch of other Portlanders. You weren't the only Portlander who was starting to pay attention based on the street fee. And so, so similarly, I want to translate that to you. So now Sam and Megas Maps are running, also Keith Wilson. Uh, And one of the things I think that makes some folks think you might be beatable is something that also might be good, which is that you've been willing to stand up around transportation policy mm-hmm. when the big powers that be want to do big highway expansions. You've been saying, hey, I'm not so sure. And so I find myself sort of in a conflicted place where I like root for, where, where, where I think the and I and I like the idea. I mean, Sam Adams knows as much about this city as anybody else. True, yes. I mean, he was in City Hall for twenty years, but I I mean, look where we are now. So, I don't I don't know what that's worth. You're frankly. not going to endorse your opponent. I get that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair to expect. <laughs> I didn't come here to listen to you sing his praises, but yeah, let's. The, uh, but ne- but one of the places that I think you showed real courage is in is on the transportation yeah. arena, and that might be one of the reasons that some power wants to go after you. Talk about that. Am I wrong? Or explain if I'm at all right. Well, 
I have relentlessly pursued progressive policy solutions that are going to deliver the most good to the most people, especially people who are the, have been the least well served by this city. I haven't given a moment's thought to whether or not that would harm my chances for re-election. Amen. I want to get re-elected, but ultimately I can't care about that. I've taken a running start <laughs> at multiple issues. I've made lots of friends and allies. I've also made some enemies, but uh, you know, and we'll see. We'll see how that uh, tactic has worked out. I can't stay in office year after year and be satisfied with the kind of slow-moving incremental change that a lot of politicians seem to accept as the way things work. I came here to get as much done as I can. This was not what I planned on doing with my life. I am not a career politician. There are lots of other things I'd like to do. What do you want to do? Hmm? What do you want to do? Well, I'm loving transportation so much. I am mm-hmm. uh, imagining a life in transportation post politics. I'm really, I've always been interested in urban planning, um, journalism. I don't know. Maybe I'll start a start a radio radio station. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> we could use your help. Use all the help we can get. What a. What are the what are your critiques of the bridge proposal and or the highway expansion proposal now, or what do you think the alternative is? So you're talking Rose Quarter I five sure. and the what we're not calling Columbia Crossing. We're calling anymore. it the Columbia River Crossing. Okay. It's it's the Columbia River Crossing, right? That's what it is. Look, Rose Quarter I five would correct a really poorly engineered interchange. There's no denying it's a bottleneck. It slows down traffic, especially it's a challenge for freight. However, it wouldn't remotely be my priority uh, for half a billion dollars. We got $250 million to do some really vital work on the surface, and it pains me to think about that money going away. So I have been working closely with community advocates, with Albina Vision, with the school district to um, compel ODOT to be more responsive to the community to do a full uh, environmental impact statement and to answer some questions that I just, if they're not answered, I don't see how we can move forward. And the biggest one is the impact on uh, Harriet Tubman Middle School. ODOT dug a trench through Lower Albina and helped destroy, you know, it's one of the many, many things that really destroyed the African-American community in that area. They cannot come back into that neighborhood without a remedy for past harm and without a project that delivers benefits to the people who who were hurt the most by the original project. How do you, tra- talking about this, how do you feel about tolling and how do you feel about uh, having to pay to go downtown, but especially in commenting on tolling, have you heard or given consideration to tolling based not only on time of day, but on the number of people in the vehicle. Sure. I mean, there are a number of ways that we could implement uh, demand management and congestion pricing, uh, tolling, or congestion pricing is part of the I-5 project, uh, Rose Quarter Project. Council uh, stipulated that when we passed, passed it. Um, I Portland is part of the American Cities Climate Challenge. That group flew me to London and Stockholm last year to learn about congestion pricing in those cities. Uh, the irony of flying halfway across the world to talk about reducing carbon emissions is not lost on me, uh, but it was really an amazing opportunity to talk with uh, local officials and policy makers and planners there. We, um, you know, Raising parking rates is a form of congestion pricing. So before we put, I think what you're talking about is like a cordon around the central city that would charge people to come in, we have a lot of work to do. We have to have a much better public transit system. How do you pay for that if it's not like, which is the chicken, which is the egg? How do you pay for that if you don't put in the fee? If you, if you if the street fee was a bad idea, or if the street fee is one of the reasons that you got in the race and started paying attention to city politics, oh, we better not do a street fee. 
if we don't want to toll until we have public transit, so we're not going to use the tolls to pay for it. What's the money we use to pay for this public transportation that gets us in the position to eventually someday uh, be able to have uh, be able to have some degree of of uh, congestion pricing? Well, look, it's not that the street fee was just a terrible idea. Yeah. It's that the city was about to implement a fee or impose a fee without really understanding the impact on small businesses. So many of us had just survived the recession. And then the city was coming back and saying, we're going to charge you you know, hundreds or possibly thousands of dollars a year just for the privilege of owning a business on a street. I don't think the formula was well thought out. Okay. And it caused panic, especially in the small business community. Uh, Steve championed the gas tax, uh, which is funds fixing our streets. It's brought in almost $75 million in the last four years. We're about to take it out uh, to the voters for renewal. Another $75 million. Did I say 75,000? 75 million. I think you said million. Okay, oh, good. Uh, 75 million. Or my ears are, yeah. are also mistaken. For the, for the phase two, uh, you may have heard of the Roseland Project. We are uh, working closely with TriMet to use the infrastructure we have and the transit system we have uh, more efficiently. And because we're not building new roads. So we have we have a uh, we have funding coming in through fixing our streets to do uh, maintenance and safety improvements. So we have plenty of money to do it, is that what you're saying? Uh plenty might be uh pushing it, but we can do a lot. Uh, so what's the timeline by which you think congestion pricing could be a good idea? Well, like I said, there's multiple ways to implement okay. congestion pricing. Okay. The cordon around the city, I mean, you don't do kind it of London. approach. That's what London did, right? You're not and Stockholm. Yeah. They had incredibly high transit mode share before yeah. they did that and, and, a, and an amazing system. I so mean, what about congestion pricing on I-5? For for the for tolling for the bridge and congestion pricing on yeah. Prior I-5? Prior to building anything. Yeah, that's, that's, okay, that's different. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Pop? I'm not. I am not proposing any sort of cordon around the city right now because you do that, or if you increase parking fees significantly, you are running the risk of killing downtown. And one of the things that Portland has done, uh, successfully done, due largely to the leadership of a mayor, Neil Goldschmidt, 50 years ago, is keep downtown a vibrant, great place to go. But in addressing the problem on I-5, especially the fact that you have the huge glut of traffic between 6.30 and 9 o'clock in the morning and 3.30 and 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the afternoon because of all of the folks who are going home to Clark County or to some extent to North Portland, to, to Northeast Portland and North Portland, but mostly to Clark County because they want to take advantage of having no income tax right. in the state of Washington. And, and there you can address it by putting a toll to encourage people not to cross the, the river in their car in high traffic times. But also, if you did it where you had a toll based on the number of people in the cars, so if you had enough people in the car, there would be no toll, and then had a real system to make it really easy for people to discover potential carpool participants, I think in six months you could cut the traffic, the the big traffic times in half. And I I have that because when I was running the Pacific Northwest Regional Commission, we be able to make that. Plan. Go ahead, go ahead. And my, and my job was questions. my job was in Vancouver, and I rode my bike to work. And I looked at those poor saps going the opposite direction from me, stop and go, and all of them had one person in the car. And I yeah. fantasized having doing something with the regional commission to encourage those folks to have two people in the car or three people in the car. And you have two people in the car, you've cut it by a half. Three people in the car, you've cut it by two-thirds. And it's just there to be done. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I am a big fan of car uh, carpooling. And sadly, it's the one uh, mode that's going down when it's, it's now easier than ever to organize a carpool. We cannot keep driving the way that we are driving. We need people who are uh, 
using single occupant vehicles to reduce their weekly trips by 50% today to get on track uh, for our climate goals and to significantly reduce congestion. So I am all for uh, encouraging, incentivizing carpooling. I want to see light rail going across that bridge. I want to see a safe and pleasant... Uh, Would you be down with a new bridge? I mean, it's absolutely necessary. I really? mean, at some point, yeah. Okay. Why? Well, for one thing, it's not going to survive an earthquake. <laughs> Almost none of the bridges in Oregon are going to survive the earthquake. This one is more earthquake sound than a bunch of other bridges. Okay. Um, I don't know what to tell you, Jefferson. It's, and, and it's the an retro- aging the bridge. Mm-hmm. At some point, we have to have the conversation about uh, replacing it and improving it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, putting light rail over it, putting um, bike pad infrastructure on it, giving people more options to get across that bridge re- yeah. other than in, in their single occupant vehicle. Oh. There, how many? You, of course, are aware of how many bridges we have across the Willamette River. Yes, we have a lot of bridges across the Willamette River. How many bridges do we have across the Columbia River? Two. Two. Yeah. Two. That is ridiculous. It it is it is a fact that the engineers tell us that retrofitting the existing bridge to address the earthquake problem and the tsunami problem is substantially less than replacing it. And it, I would just hope that you would think in terms of doing whatever is necessary there, fine. But having a third bridge rather than a replacement bridge, especially a third bridge which would siphon off folks who are going from Clark County to Hillsboro to make it unnecessary for them to come circle through downtown Portland sure. to get to their jobs in Washington County. Well, that's an interesting possibility because we know that The cars moving through Rose Quarter I-5, the majority of them do not originate or end in Portland. Those aren't our residents uh, or our workers. They're passing through our city. So if we could reduce the number of people passing through our city, that would be great. I'm certainly open to all uh, possibilities. This was a conversation I have to admit I was hoping would happen after I left. (laughs) City Hall. Well, uh, in a year, if you don't win this race, that could still happen. But the, well, right now, you're could. running transportation. I, right. Like now, you're the you're the yeah. uh, the best hope the city has in terms of an elected official to address this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a Peabot property, but we certainly have a big stake in yeah. in the conversation. So, how could you weigh in? Right. Right. Like one way to weigh in is the and this was a critique of mine uh, with Sam. I've talked about that, you know, in person. Was uh, that there wasn't when there was an easier chance, and the project ended up running aground anyway. And to me, the conversation yeah. to have with uh, with the building trades were pushing so hard for it was, yeah, get it right on the environmental stuff, do a smart project, and then you'll have a greater chance to have the consensus to actually get the thing done. Uh, instead, they had a project that was of bloated cost that uh, wouldn't have solved the problem where you had so many of the transportation advocates in this community saying it's not going to solve the problem. And now we're basically having a redux, and then it didn't happen. And now we're basically having a redux of that project, hoping that with nothing really changed except for political memories, except for the political landscape. Back in the day, the city didn't say, listen, this is kind of dumb. Uh, they, Sam did work, to his credit, did work to like shrink the lanes a little bit, to, sh- to shave the project a little bit. And mm-hmm. that, took, that took real political effort on his part. But there was still the basic idea that instead of having a transit-dedicated bridge over Hayden Island, instead of trying to move the uh, instead of trying to move the, uh, the the train tracks to reduce the S-curve problem that the boats have to go under the bridge, mm-hmm. that instead of then doing a seismic retrofit for $400 million of that bridge, we'd tear it down, which costs as much as the seismic retrofit, and then they'd say, well, three, four, I would guess more like $10 billion, because there ain't ever been any one of these big projects that has happened and staying under cost. I mean, if, if you go 2X on a $100 million project, oh, well, you've spent another $100 million. You go 2X on a $4 billion project, and you've spent all your transportation money until your grandchildren are around. Right. And and there hasn't hadn't been enough like the the transportation lovers the urban planning lovers well built the lovely things we care about in our city 
weren't engaged, weren't empowered, didn't win that fight. And they're not winning that fight now. And if there's going to be a citizen city councilor, is there going to be somebody who's bringing to bear the kind of energy you wanted to bring to city council with respect to housing? Hey, let's make sure housing planning isn't only being done by landlords and developers. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure transportation planning isn't only being done by shippers and people who make money on the deal and people who make money making the project. Let's make sure that people who have at stake in the community are making that decision. That could be you. How could you imagine, how, how could uh, city council in your position as head of transportation bureau uh, impact that debate? Well, this conversation has really <clears throat> just reemerged in recent months. Uh, I haven't had a chance to wade deeply into it. I'm pretty consumed with our more kind of hyper-local transportation issues. I would say I have a record of not shying away from criticizing uh, mega proje projects, from criticizing our partnering agencies, and I still have a good working relationship with them. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm realizing just talking to you and your dad, that there are multiple alternatives that have been floated. I don't want to see the debacle and the gross waste of taxpayer money that we saw last time around. I've asked for analysis of kind of failures of the last uh, attempt at this. Uh, and so, I mean, moving forward, yeah. that's that's what I'm, I'm going to be looking at. What yeah. can we learn? What can we use so we're not wasting yeah. millions of more dollars on information we already have. It's um, we got some texts in the, uh, and I think the thing that people root for you with regards to most is your motives. Mm -hmm. Is it well? Uh, maybe she hasn't been in city government quite as long. Although now you have, uh, now you have three years of experience as a mm -hmm. member of the city council. Uh, but trusting your motives that you're there just to try to figure things out on behalf of the public interest and that counts a lot, I think, for a lot of human beings. What has changed about you since you have been in City Hall? I've been reflecting on the last uh, three years since Commissioner Fish passed. Uh, walking into that building, I had no idea what to expect. Three of my colleagues had endorsed my opponent, and uh, I ran as a political unknown and an outsider, and I... I probably questioned whether I belong there as much as anybody else. Uh, I think that I've done, I've, I've been effective in the, in the things I said I was coming to City Hall to do. Um, I never expected Nick Fish to be my closest friend and ally on City Council. And although he never treated me like anything but a peer, I really consider him a mentor. People see us very differently. I'm the upstart, the rabble rouser, the radical on city council, and Nick represents the status quo, I think, in a lot of people's minds. But the reality is we were able to come to an agreement on probably 98% of everything that passed across the dais in the last three years, and that's thousands of items. So thinking about the difference between Nick and I, I realized that uh, I have always felt somewhat at odds with the world. And I'm a fighter, and I've had to be, because I come from a challenging background, and I've had to, I've had to work and struggle for everything that I have. Nick was born into very di different circumstances, and I think f he felt more of a a place in the world and he didn't have that kind of fighter mentality and so I have been thinking a lot about what it would feel like not to feel so at odds uh, and to take um, a somewhat different different approach to some of the more challenging conversations I've advanced I mean I do look at both sides of every issue. I dive really deep into policy work, and I try to uh, come up. Is that is that a way that's changed? No, I've always been like that. I I mean, I've uh, if I you know want to boil an egg, I read a book about it. Like I have always been someone that wants to know everything about any given issue, and I don't always come down clearly on one side or the other. So I'm often in the position of not making 
the advocates happy and not making the opponents happy. I still want to dig into this a little bit. By the way, you're listening to X-Ray. We're talking to City Commissioner Chloe Daly running for re-election in uh, one of the closest watch city council races in a while. Uh, it is not every time that a city council running for re-election has a really challenging challenger and you have a couple people running real campaigns we'll see it doesn't mean you won't crush them but at least there's a real campaign here and appreciate you spending the time with us uh any weaknesses other than being unknown and being new to new city government which had strengths as well uh any weaknesses that you have to cope with I, mean, I look at my own, like I got weaknesses and I either try to make them better or I just try to build around them. I just try to have people around me that help uh, fill in my gaps. Any gaps you have to fill in? Any things you're not good at? Well, there's absolutely knowledge gaps, and that's one of the challenges of our form of city government. We're assigned bureaus uh, in sectors that we may know nothing about, have no professional expertise in. When I was assigned the Transportation Bureau, uh, that was a pretty daunting assignment. So I signed up for the class at PSU, traffic and transportation class, that Congressman Blumenauer established back when he was uh, Transportation Commissioner. I found mentors in the community, and I've really, you know, dove into transportation uh, policy. And like I said, I love it. I think um, I t- I think relative inexperience can be both a blessing and a curse. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what's not possible. And so sometimes that means you you shoot for the moon and you actually are able to get further than someone who is more seasoned and kind of accepting of... Yeah, I don't think that's a lie. I don't think that's made up. We did the best project. If we had known how hard it was going to be, we never would have tried. Same thing with X-Ray. And I'll just use two examples that I've witnessed up close that had we... that that people who knew more than us didn't try to do it because they were right. It was impossible. But nonetheless, we were able to do something. Not everything we wanted to do, but something. But I still want to get to this idea. I ask you about anything ways you've changed. You gave a lot of them. I mean, heck, Nick was a friend of the show. We miss him. And I'm one of the myriad who wept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to try not to do that here. Same. Uh, I also want to ask about you. That I want to ask about how you've changed. What things about you that developed. And maybe it's like, you don't have time to change in this job. You just got to take what you know, learn the subject matter expertise, but you don't really have time to develop as a leader. You don't have time to really transform as a human being. You are who you are. You spend four years, do as much work as you can with the skills that you've got, learn some tactical things, learn you know some policy stuff, make some new friends, but ultimately are who you are. But I am curious, on the chance you aren't just who you are, are there any ways that over a course in city council, you are, as a leader, as a human being, as a colleague, as an advocate, you change it all? I mean, I think it's inevitable that it it changes you. Um, for me, part of getting older and back to this idea, this feeling of you know being born into a life where I felt at odds with the world, getting older or maturing as a human being, part of that is realizing we're all more similar than we are different. I think most Portlanders share. Uh, the same progressive values that I have, we don't necessarily agree on how to get there. And there seems to be a real disconnect, both within City Hall and the community at large, between concern about issues and willing to act, whether it's climate change or dismantling uh, white privilege. We want the same things, but we are squabbling over how to get there. And so... um, I am always interested in opinions and and learning more, you know, learning about a given issue. There are some uh, there are some things that I'm just not going to budge on. So, like what? Well, I mean, what's a controversial thing you won't budge on? What's something that hasn't been already talked ad nauseum that you won't budge on? Well, I mean. I was going to go to housing, so you just took that away. But I'm, I, I'll have to talk about housing. I believe that there's just a fundamental conflict between housing as a commodity and housing as a human right. And I believe that it is incumbent upon government to provide access to safe, stable, affordable housing for everyone. And that those beliefs have driven my 
policy making around tenant protections and affordable housing. People want us to solve what is a national crisis and a global crisis without impacting their lives in any way, without actually changing anything. And I know, you know, with the perspective I have now, born out of five years of being deeply involved in housing justice and now three years as a policymaker, that that's not possible. We have to fundamentally change the way that we look at housing, and we need to look at affordable housing as part of our essential infrastructure, and we need to deeply invest in it, and we need to protect people. We got a question from the audience. Uh, what about the way that homeless are treated, including people experiencing houselessness, how they're treated by police? Uh, that is... Uh, really difficult issue when we when I first took office we convened conversations with the mayor's office with advocates with service organizations about how we were going to approach um, camping and how we could create more humane policies and we have done that uh, to a certain extent but the problem we still haven't solved, and this gets to the policing question, is that if we're going to forcibly remove someone from a site, which is a, is a sweep, uh, who has nowhere to go, we have to have somewhere for them to go. And we still haven't solved that problem. So I am uh, actively pursuing alternative camping sites or alternative shelter sites on public property. I'm just to the point where we have to accept that thousands of people are living on our streets and we can help them uh, be safer and healthier and we can minimize interactions with the police if we give them the dignity of a safe place to sleep. How's the mayor doing? I think he's doing... Are you voting for the mayor? Oh, for Pete's sake, Jefferson, uh, I am not, I've not endorsed anyone in any, uh, any seats on city council. That's going to be coming out in the next week or so. So I'm not going to discuss that. I think that... Coming out in the next week or so, you mean in the next week or so you're going to be making your endorsements? Yeah, or I, I haven't decided if I'm going to grade, green light, or endorse. It's pretty challenging. I know multiple people running for yeah, city council. Yeah, the dynamic council. has got to be weird, right? Because yeah. just like you, you come in, three of the people, a majority yeah. of the city council, endorse the person you just beat, and now you got to yeah. work with them. And now you're sort of on the other side of that equation. You're looking down the hall, and when you say, hey, we're not making, we're not doing what we need in terms of structural reforms, well, wait a minute, the mayor is like in the same building as you. And so you say, well, it's ousted. On the other hand, you say, no, I kind of need his vote on some stuff, and I want him to sign me some bureaus that I actually like. How do you manage that dynamic? Yeah, it's really sticky. I think, I mean, I'm more concerned with the kind of influence that uh endorsement from a city commissioner sitting commissioner has and the fact that there are a number of really excellent candidates running in each seat and so I'm really weighing whether or not I want to uh, put my opinion out there or I just want to say these are the candidates who I feel are most aligned with my values and I would support any of them and these are the candidates who I wouldn't. But the I green light thing is sort of interesting or the rating or the evaluation like yeah. here's where I agree with them here's where I'm not like giving people information rather than just yeah. anointing them with the sword of the queen. It, it you know I am not a real I'm not someone who's super comfortable with authority and hierarchy, uh, and that's reflected in the way that I run my office. Um, and I'm in what way? In that everybody has the same job, in that it's chaos, in that everybody loves each other, and you manage with consensus. How does that translate? None of those. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not chaos. We definitely have uh, different roles. I would say that because I'm uncomfortable with hierarchy too, and yeah. it sometimes is a limitation to my leadership ability. Absolutely, same. I yeah. recognize that. I mean, I have to get more comfortable with wielding power. That's yeah. what some of my, my most valued mentors have said to me. But so, but that's just to say, I'm just very cautious with how I wield it. So, what I wanted to say to you is, I think being a Portland City Commissioner is one of the best jobs in local American politics. I think being the mayor of Portland is one of the hardest. Uh, 
obviously, you know, we haven't had a two-term mayor in, I, in many cycles. You want Wheeler to b- break the trend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, continuity of leadership is a real challenge, whether it's who is in those seats, who is overseeing the bureaus, who is directing the bureaus. It yeah. is so disruptive. I honestly sometimes don't know how this city keeps running. Because there's so much turnover. Yeah. How come there's so much turnover? The jobs pay pretty well. Well, I mean, the terms, the elected terms are only four years, yeah. so they so turn built over. Built-in turnover of elected right. officials. There's that. Um, the mayor has the authority to assign and reassign bureaus, so that creates another layer of kind of uh, lack of continuity with leadership. Um, and I wouldn't say there's super high turner sh- turnover at the director level, although we have... Uh, seen a number of people leave recently it's a stressful it's a stressful environment i can't deny that and i'm every bureau i have uh one of the one of the issues i'm trying to solve is how can we make this a healthier workplace how can uh we help people feel more ownership take more pride in their jobs how can we improve the the culture of the bureau yeah it's a challenging thing it really is and I will I will put in a plug. It was a it was a, a talk that I researched for, and that if you look at the best kind of feedback that exists, it tends to be specific positive feedback. And generally, you want I don't know between three and five to one positive feedbacks for negative feedbacks. What are the mechanisms for that in government? Not as many. You don't get year-end bonuses. You don't get, you know, they don't make Nike ads, in internal promotion ads that they play at the company picnic, right? It's sort of challenging. But yeah. you do get lots of criticism, lots of critique. You see lots of problems, yeah. lots of human pain you can't solve. What's the biggest mistake you've made as city councilor? The biggest mistake? Uh, in retrospect... I would have taken a more active role in the conversation around code change and what our neighborhood network looks like. Yeah. It's a really important conversation. Uh, it's it motivated me against maps to run. Yes. So that was like, that was sort of, I guess he was already paying attention. So it's not like sort of the street fee example exactly, but that was what, you know, I think militated his campaign. Well, yes. He is a former employee of uh, Office of Community and Civic Life who disagrees with the work that we're doing around the code change for civic engagement and the reforms we're making to a program previously uh, named Crime Prevention and now it's Community Health. Bob, we're just about to wrap up. You got another question you want to ask? Chloe, have you have you ever been a landlord? No. Uh, I've been a renter since I left home as a teenager. I did rent a beautiful, large home in northwest Portland for 18 years and kind of acted as the, um, I guess, uh, den mother of that, of that house, but never a landlord. I would be interested in knowing how much, if any time, you have spent ideally one-on-one or at least in small groups with small ownership landlords. And let me explain the reason I'm asking this question. My wife and I had a sixplex. We were small, we were small landlords, and we had tenants who tyrannized us, absolutely tyrannized us, and because of the, na- the laws that existed and the procedures existed, we finally got out of it. I'm wondering if you have spent enough time with small landlords to understand their problems. Uh, I would say that we have ha- we have sought and uh, listened to a considerable amount of input from small time landlords, uh, whether it's uh, communicating directly with them, whether it's working with the um, rental services board. I can't remember what exactly they call it. I also have a number of friends who are landlords, so I get plenty of input from them. I would say, you know, we can't, we don't know how many units in Portland are owned by um, kind of commercial landlords versus small-time landlords. That's one of the challenges of not having any kind of system to, to 
track or manage our uh, rental inventory. And we can't decide not to protect tenants because it may have create some burden or hardship for small time operators. The laws that allow you to get rid of a tenant who is breaking their lease, who is a threat to your property or a threat to the community still exist. We haven't changed anything regarding that. Um, but most tenants are counting on a good referral from their landlord. And most tenants are counting on getting some portion of their uh, deposit back. So while I recognize there are bad tenants, um, bad actors among tenants, just like any other realm of society, we can't not protect everyone else because some people are bad actors. There are laws there to protect landlords and everyone else from people who are a threat. We got about 60 seconds. I, I did want to... <laughs> Please don't ask me to solve homelessness in 60 <laughs> seconds. Twice as long as you gave me last time, but... <laughs> solve, solve Neighborhood Association in 60 seconds. No, here's the last thought, and then I'll, my okay. last thought, and then give, you give yours, and they'll play us out with music. The district-based election question and the Neighborhood Association question, to me, overlap in a significant way. They're hmm. trying to address some of the structural challenges we have in the city that relate to historical racism in the city, but at the same time, you do both things. You might actually reduce the level of democracy in the city, the civic engagement that has made our city special, right? People actually engage in their neighborhoods, actually people talking directly to their city councilor who has real power, not just the ability to talk to some unelected city manager. Mm -hmm. What are f Finish however you want. Something on my mind, at the very least, is how do we boost civic engagement at the same same time as we are engaging the question on transforming some of the very fundaments of our civic engagement structures up to now. Sure. Well, first I'll just say anyone who knows me or who has been watching me in action should know that uh, squashing public engagement or civic engagement no, is absolutely squash, not how we boost. Right. I don't see the district conversation and the neighborhood association conversation as necessarily related. I get what you're aiming at. The aim of code change is to recognize that, especially in a Portland where tens of thousands of people, uh, communities of color, low-income people, have been displaced out of the central city who are not able to choose the neighborhoods they live in, don't necessarily identify by the geographic place they live in. They might identify, um, they might organize themselves around uh, racial or cultural identity. They might organize themselves around political and issues. associations could be insufficient. There's no reason that we can't recognize and hear from uh, more diverse voices. My problem with neighborhood associations is that they the membership does not reflect the full diversity of our community, and therefore we are, we as a city are not doing a good enough job. Yeah, and that I get, which is why I still want to grapple with that other question of what do we put in its place? How do we actually engage citizen engagement generally? But you have been listening to X-Ray. We're going to be turning it over in just a moment. Just want to say thank you so much for being generous with your time. Commissioner Chloe Udaly running for re-election right now. Chloe, thank you so much, Commissioner. Thank you. This was super fun.